Welcome to the Healthy Hair Podcast. Your host, Dr. Amy Brenner, is a board-certified OBGYN with additional certifications in functional and integrative medicine. This podcast is meant to help women find reliable, relevant information to help them feel better, look better, and live better. Here, you will hear in-depth information about hormones, sexual medicine, aesthetics, cosmetic gynecology, and functional medicine. Hi there. Here's another episode of the Healthy Her Podcast. And this is a topic I just want to shout from the rooftops. This is something that seems like nobody ever really talks about. I just got back from a a girl's trip with my college friends celebrating our 50th birthday, even though uh, next week I'm actually turning 52. We had to postpone it uh, a year because of COVID. So I was there with eight of my college friends and somehow the, the topic of what happens to your vagina came up. And I will tell you, none of my friends, except my one friend who's actually a physician, knew that your vagina can have some changes when you go through menopause. And then I recently had the same conversation with my hairdresser. And also she was also shocked of nobody ever told me that these changes could happen or start to happen as you age. So I thought this was something I just want everybody to know about of what happens to your vagina as we age and go through menopause. And today I have a colleague and friend of mine who is a specialist in this, and her name is Dr. Maria Cantor, who is board certified in urogynecology. So welcome, Maria. Thank you, Amy. I am so honored to be here and participate in this fun discussion we're having today. So I am a urogynecologist. I'm in Northern Virginia. I've been in practice over 15 years, and I see a lot of ladies who are struggling with the changes in the vulva and the vagina as they get older. So this day and age, we call this the genitourinary syndrome of menopause, which is a chronic condition that can be progressive. We commonly see it in postmenopausal women, but believe it or not, we can see it in younger women as well, especially women in the perimenopausal period, women who uh, might go through premature menopause or on certain medications. And what happens is a result of change in hormones, specifically a drop in the estrogen levels as your ovaries decrease in their production of estrogen and then finally stop making estrogen, we see changes in the lining of the vulva and vagina And these changes include a decrease in elasticity, a decrease in blood vessels, decrease in collagen, a decrease in the the lining of the epithelium, which is the lining of the vagina, and an increase in the pH level. And so what that can do is change the lactobacilli in the vagina, which is the good bacteria that we want to have in the vagina to keep us from getting other infections and keep the vagina healthy. And as that goes down, we see a change in sort of the microbiome or the flora of the vagina. And that can result in a bunch of other things that can happen to us as we get older. So you mentioned lactobacilli. I remember 
one time when I was in college and I had a yeast infection and my mother told me to eat yogurt because it has the the good bacteria. Is that what we're is that what we're talking about? And I still hear patients say that when they come in for a yeast infection. Yes, absolutely. So when you have a large amount of lactobacilli or a normal amount of lactobacilli in the vaginal area, it helps protect you from overgrowth of other things like certain bacterias, um, certain yeast, and when there's an overgrowth. So in other words, bacteria and yeast live in the vagina. You can't completely eradicate them, but lactobacilli, your microbiome, help keep things at bay. But sometimes maybe you take an antibiotic and that will change the flora because some of the bacteria will be affected by that antibiotic, as an example. And so then yeast can get out of control because yeast isn't really affected by bacteria, except for the fact that a side effect um, of the antibiotic, sorry, um, a side effect of the antibiotic is that yeast can grow more because there's less bacteria there to keep it at bay. So yes, if you're consuming yogurt with lactobacilli in it, especially yogurt that has higher protein than sugar, you may be doing yourself a good service of replenishing that lactobacilli in your body. But you're saying as we age, because the pH changes, therefore the amount of lactobacilli goes down. So at what age do people have to start worrying about GSM or genitourinary symptoms of menopause? So we see it in the perimenopausal women and postmenopausal women. And so typically we see that midlife. So 40s, 50s, we can see dryness happening in the vagina in early perimenopause. About 4% of women will have dryness of the vagina. Once you get through perimenopause, so you haven't had a period for about a year, we see 25% of women now having some vaginal dryness. But once you're past that year, it's about 40% of women who have vaginal dryness. So we can see it starting even before your periods are gone. Um, I even see it sometimes in women who are on certain medications where Uh, they still may be having periods. Let's say they're on a birth control pill. You can see some dryness in the vaginal tissue sometimes as a result of that particular medication. Mm -hmm. Now, in your practice, because you mentioned you're a urogynecologist versus, and what that means is not only did you do an OBGYN fellowship, but you went on to do three more years of advanced training um, specifically for the the pelvic organs versus I'm a general OBGYN. And uh, when I was out of practice, I delivered babies and still did traditional GYN. So I wonder if our patient population is different because when I see women that come in for this is they usually don't come in to see me until it's really severe. And it's not just, yeah, I was a little dry and had to use some lubrication with intercourse. They're coming to see me when they're saying it it feels like razors when they have intercourse or it's just burning and itching 24-7. I didn't know if your people were coming to see you a little sooner or even later. I probably have a good mix simply because women will come see me for other issues. So they might have had a baby and have some stress urinary incontinence and 
you know, as a result, the tissues have changed, started to change a little bit. Maybe they're in peri or early postmenopause. So we might catch that in the office and I might ask them about it. And the things I would ask about would be more about their symptoms. If they're having dryness or burning or itching, pain with intercourse, spotting with sex. And then we get into urinary symptoms because you can get urinary symptoms from genital urinary syndrome of menopause as well. So what is happening is the lining of the urethra has the same type of tissue or estrogen receptor rich tissue that the vagina has. So when there's a lack of estrogen, that urethra can also get uncomfortable. So you can see urinary frequency and urgency and getting up at night. You can see sexual dysfunction. So patients may come in not necessarily for symptoms of genitourinary syndrome of menopause, but they may come in for similar type symptoms. And I'm capturing some of them a little bit early uh, in their changes of their vulva and their vagina. Yeah. So it's not just about dryness or discomfort with intercourse is what you're saying is GSM can cause lots of other health issues for women. Absolutely. And one of the I think more bothersome and worrisome things that I see is a decrease in intimacy over time because the dryness, all these symptoms in the bladder, sorry, in the vaginal area and discomfort with intercourse can result in a fourfold greater increase in sexual dysfunction. So now you're talking about decreased libido, decreased arousal. Of course, you don't want to have sex if it hurts when you're having sex. So while it can start as a mild issue, it can also become progressive and it becomes more difficult to treat the more prog- progressed it becomes. Yeah, I agree. It's so much easier. It's so much easier to treat before it becomes a problem. Absolutely. Who's at, who's at risk for this? Is everybody at risk for this? Is this something that's going to happen to to everybody? Uh, I was just telling my staff, I was walking through, they're like, oh, your skin looks good. And I said, oh, I just did a carboxy mask, which I know you do that too. We'll get to that. And I said, oh, I just did that last night. In fact, I also did one for my vagina. And my staff said, why are you doing that? I'm like, do you have any problems? I'm like, no, I don't have any problems, but I will be 52 in four days and I know what's coming and I don't want that to come. So um, is, is it just something that's if, if left untreated is meant to happen to everybody or who's at special risk for, for getting GSM? So it typically affects about 50% of postmenopausal women. Uh, women who are at risk for it, of course, women who age. So all of us are at risk. Doesn't mean we're all going to develop these issues, but we're all at risk. Women who have premature menopause. So if you know your mother went through menopause at age 40, there's a good chance you might go through menopause at age 40. And the longer you're in menopause, the higher your risk of developing these issues. If you are someone who's diagnosed with breast cancer or at high risk of developing breast cancer, and as a result, you're taking certain medications that decrease estrogen in your body, or maybe you had to have your ovaries removed for a genetic mutation or ovarian pathology. Anytime you have a decrease in estrogen in the body, you can have these sorts of symptoms. Now, I've even seen 
women who've had babies, and I'm sure you've seen this, Amy, women have had babies, they're nursing, and they come see you uh, six, eight weeks after they've delivered saying, it hurts when I have sex because the tissues are lacking estrogen. So by nursing, the hormones in the body have changed. So this postpartum woman is not currently having periods. Her body's not making a lot of estrogen. Her vagina can look like a menopausal woman, even though when nursing slows down or they've completed nursing, that estrogen will come back and her ovaries will function normally again and all those atrophic changes will go away. Yeah, I've definitely seen that. But the good the good thing is, is if women don't seek treatment, it does usually go away. Versus women in the perimenopause and menopause, uh, it's not something that goes away. In fact, I did a, a podcast, it was actually number 11, that menopause is not the flu. And uh, I'd be curious if your patient population is the same, but I hear so much from patients of, that are going through menopause of, you know, I really didn't have any hot flashes or my hot flashes are getting better. I'm just going to try to get through it. And although that might be the case with hot flashes, what's going on with your vagina and your vaginal health is typically progressive. And it's not something you just get over like hot flashes or with vaginal dryness in the postpartum period. You know, you mentioned your girlfriends and I want to mention my girlfriends too, because <laughs> we are all in that fun bunch, right? And we're all in this perimenopausal, menopausal time of our lives. And my girlfriends are a hoot. Not only are they taking care of the skin on the face, just like you are, they are maintaining the vagina as well. And some of my girlfriends went so far as before they even saw a wrinkle, they were in the dermatologist's office, not only doing sunscreen, but whatever other topicals or whatever it took to keep their skin healthy and wrinkle-free. And they do the same type of maintenance and care for the vagina as well. And I just... I love that they're so proactive and these are going to be the women that have minimal issues as they're aging. Yeah, that's, that's great. Like, um, maybe I haven't done a good job of talking to my friends about what's going to happen because my friends were shocked of, are you kidding me? Nobody ever told me this. Um, but you're right. Like it, it's kind of the same thing is also the, the outside of our, down there, the vulva, it's skin that ages just like our face. And, you know, when we're looking in the mirror on, on Zoom call, we see some changes and, you know, so many women are like, okay, I got to get a cream for this. I got to get Botox. I need to go to um, the doctor. I need to fix this wrinkle. But not everybody's looking, quote, down there, end quote, and then, you know, all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, that was uncomfortable with sex. I'm not going to do that for a while. And then it's just this slippery slope. And, and then it's just so much harder to treat because we're not really looking down there. And people don't know that this is a change. At least the people that I talked to and my friends, they were just so shocked. So good for you of educating all of your girlfriends. Well, it sounds like you're educating yours also. But the sad truth is that in our society, in our culture, we don't really talk about vaginal health as much. In fact, the word vagina is taboo on many social media platforms. Why? I can't tell you. I have no idea why that's the case. 
only about 25% of women will get adequate treatment for vulvovaginal atrophy, genitourinary syndrome of menopause because they think it's normal, they're just getting older, they're embarrassed to talk about it, or they just don't know or realize what's happening isn't just going to go away in a little while, that this is a new problem that's here to stay and might get worse. Yeah. Yeah. So you brought up treatment. So I think there are so many treatment options for really everybody, even people that can't take hormones or don't want to take hormones. And why I'm so excited to have you talk about this is your practice is very similar to mine is we can offer things that are FDA approved and covered by insurance that you get from your commercial pharmacy. But we can also do... um, some really exciting things um, that are more innovative and actually, I think, work a lot quicker. So let's get into what you can do to actually treat this. So like you said, there are a lot of options and we can start with the easiest, most conservative options and work our way up. But one option is to have regular sex. If you're having regular sex, that helps your tissues. It helps keep things elastic. It helps with lubrication. And I do have patients who come in and say, oh my gosh, I didn't realize if I wasn't using it, I was going to lose it. My clitoris is smaller. My tissues are shrinking. What's happening? And so regular sex can be helpful. Uh, I've talked to patients about moisturizers and lubricants. If you're using moisturizers and lubricants, you want to be careful with what you choose to put in your body, right? Just like you're careful about what lotion you put on your face, you want to be careful about what you're putting in the vagina. So in terms of water-based moisturizers and lubricants, you want to pick something with what's called a good osmolality because if the osmolality is too high, it's going to make you feel dry. If the pH is too low, it's going to be too acidic. So you want to have something that's pH balanced for the vagina, perhaps avoid things with glycerin and parabens, and a good osmolality. And then there are water-based lubricants, silicone. Some people use oils, although some people worry that that can result in some infections. Uh, There are hyaluronic acid gels that you can use. There was a study looking at use of hyaluronic acid vaginal gels used, I think it was like a couple times a week versus topical estrogen therapy. And there was improvement in dryness that was equivalent between the, the two arms. Now, do you recommend people get these over the counter is my first question. And then second question, can you describe for people what the difference between a moisturizer is and a, and a lubricant? Yes. So I do have patients get these things over the counter. My super favorites, I actually had a few patients ask me if I wouldn't mind carrying them in my office because, you know, some of these ladies are not in their 20s and they don't feel comfortable going on the internet, or maybe they have teenagers they share their accounts with or whatnot. They don't want these things coming to their front door. So I started carrying some of these products in the office, but I do have them purchase online or in the pharmacy. But if you're gonna purchase online, right now I have them going to the manufacturer websites just to be safe, make sure there's not any third-party nonsense going on. 
um, in terms of more. Yeah, let's talk about that a second. Like, I couldn't agree with you more. Like, I love Amazon. In fact, I think Amazon comes to my house almost daily. Um, but I do get worried about counterfeit because I only buy things on Amazon where I know you can't counterfeit it. So like this week, my Cruella wig for Halloween came and my red gloves and like it is what it is. You can't counterfeit that. But things that I would ingest like a capsule, I feel like that would be so easy for somebody to just get plain capsules and fill them with powder or sugar or flour and put them in a bottle or same thing with lotions or even shampoos like you know, you just don't know what you're getting on the internet. So for those kinds of things, I like people to either get from a physician's office or a medi spa or pharmacy, or like you said, order directly from the manufacturer. What do you think about that as far as counterfeit products on, you know, just ordering online? I mean, I've heard enough about that happening that I agree with you. I don't order supplements or anything like that from sites that have third parties mm-hmm. um, just because you have no idea what you're getting. And I'm sure down the road, there'll be some regulation, but right now there's not. And the other issue is, for example, say you're ordering a probiotic or something that needs to be refrigerated. Well, it's, you know, August and you've ordered your probiotic and, you know, has it sat, been sitting in a truck for two hours in 90 right. degree weather? You don't you don't know, you know, what that product is going to be like when it gets to your front door. Right. So I agree with you. OK. OK. Back to our topic of uh, the difference between lubrication and um, moisturizers. Yeah. So the moisturizers are more for, um, you know, the moisturizers are more for maintaining a certain um, moisture in the vagina. So alleviating some of that dryness feeling, the irritation that you can get, some of the itching and burning that you can get as well. Some moisturizers also can be used as lubricants. So you just have to look at the packaging to see if it can be used as a lubricant. Um, an, a lubricant that I like, for example, is a silicone-based lubricant that is not used as a moisturizer, but is purely used for lubrication during intercourse. And so it causes things to feel a little bit more slippery, kind of like when you go to get a massage, mm-hmm. you know, you have a lotion you could use like a moisturizer versus something more of an oil that you would use. They feel very different. Right. And so with the silicone based lubricants, um, you can apply it to the outside of the vagina, to the vulvar area. You can apply it to the penis um, with foreplay. Um, And then, you know, you proceed to have intercourse and hopefully it's much better with the use of a lubricant. Now, that said, some patients will use a moisturizer like a hyaluronic acid based vaginal gel on a regular basis and may not need a lubricant on top of that just because the moisturizer has done such a good job of improving the dryness in the vagina with regular use. Yeah, would you agree that the lubricants, probably the most popular brand is KY Jelly or maybe they were the first to the market. Um, uh, 
and now there's so many different brands of moisturizers or lubricants, but just using something like KY Jelly is it'll help with lubrication during that active intercourse, but it's not going to get to the root of the problem, maybe like a moisturizer or some of the other treatments that we're going to talk about. Yes, I would agree with that. Do you think the moisturizers help get to the root of the problem or maybe just early on in the perimenopause versus if somebody's pretty severe, they're not going to get that much relief from that? Um, with the moisturizers, yes. I would say, you know, I have seen good results with use of the hyaluronic acid gels and pills in some patients, and it may be because they were early on. I don't typically use that for my older patients. I just feel like when they're older and there's more atrophy and it's more progressed, it's more difficult to treat with moisturizers and lubricants. Yeah, I would agree. And we try, we do try them because oftentimes patients want to go with the more conservative and try everything approach. Not always, but oftentimes. Um, but I find that those sorts of things work better in the younger um, or newer peri postmenopausal demographic. I agree. Yeah, I don't see it giving me fantastic results like I do with some of the other therapies when people are having so much discomfort that they're not even able to be intimate with their partner. Agreed. Yeah. But that's a whole other discussion of uh, lubricants and uh, oil-based and water-based and what to use what. Um, um, just kind of this might be TMI, but you know, I like, I like to pride myself of practicing what I preach and keeping my, uh, vagina healthy, just like my skin and, and doing things like the O shot or carboxy therapy and radio frequency, just because I know that that's coming. But even still with all of that, particularly if I've had a date night and had some drinks, like I can get dry. And, and that's the situation where I personally still need a lubricant is if I've had alcohol. Yes, that can happen. Yes. Or if, um, you know, periodically I, my husband and I like to, you know, you just get a local hotel room and have like a long intimacy session instead of just our, our regular throughout the week. And with kind of longer sessions, things can get dry too. And that's where a, I personally like a silicone base because it lasts longer. Absolutely. And that's especially true when you're using water-based uh, lubricants and moisturizers, those do tend to dry up over time. And so you do need to reapply. And I I agree with you, silicone-based are better in those instances. Okay. Well, what else do we All have? Right. Well, other things that can be used, you know, it depends on some of the things that could be causing these symptoms. So to improve elasticity, you could use um, dilators to improve pain with intercourse. You could apply a little lidocaine numbing medication to the vagina and vulvar area um, a few minutes before intercourse. And then we start getting into hormone therapy, which that's a whole other discussion too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's vaginal estrogen. Now we have... Um, DHEA suppositories, which are a little different type of hormone that you can put in the vagina. And both of these 
can definitely improve the genitourinary syndrome of menopause. Unfortunately, not all patients can use those therapies. Uh, and with these therapies, you have to use them for at least a month to three months to see the efficacy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true for a lot of these procedures we're talking about. You mentioned the OSHAD and carboxy therapy. I mean, it doesn't work right away. You have to give these things a little time to change the tissue so that you can see improvement. So, and you did mention lasers and radio, and we can talk about radio frequency and the OSHOT. Yeah, because you and I both have all of those um, options in our practice. So I'd love to hear, and I'm sure our listeners would love to hear. I don't think I've talked a lot about um, the OSHOT. I have had um, some talks with Lana Kerr about carboxy therapy, but uh, but I don't think our listeners know too much about what the O-shot is and what carboxy therapy is. And we definitely haven't talked too much about radiofrequency or lasers for the vagina. Yeah, so the O-shot is a term that's used for use of platelet-rich plasma in the genital area. So platelet-rich plasma comes from the patient. So we draw blood, we spin it down, and you've got the platelet-rich component of that plasma. And that component is filled with growth factors and cytokines. And these can activate some of these pluripotent stem cells that are in various areas of the body to bring more blood supply to the area, to remodel collagen, to bring more nerves to the area. So the first time I ever heard about PRP, as it's called, was Kobe Bryant, actually. I think he injured his elbow many years ago. And I want to say he flew to Germany and he got this mysterious thing called PRP. And the next thing you know, he was on the court a couple weeks later and the whole world stopped. Like, where did he go? What did he hmm. get? I didn't Why know that is he story. So much better? Yeah, that's the first time I ever heard about it. And I mean, to give you an idea of when this was, I think I was trying to find a place with an internet. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I think, I don't know, it was a long time ago. But but anyway, you know, he did so well that I was intrigued. And over time, I've learned PRP can be used for hair growth when you inject it in the scalp. You can use it on the face for aesthetics. And now it can be used in the genital area to improve sexual function, including dryness in the vagina. In fact, one of my favorite um, studies I like to talk about with patients, even though it's only 20 patients in the study, was a phase two trial on 20 women with breast cancer. And these women underwent platelet-rich plasma injections in the vagina, and overall there was a 17% improvement in their distress with sexual function. There was improved hydration, uh, the lining of the vagina had a better integrity to it. And of the 19 out of 20 patients who had the procedure done, 19 decided, you know, I would move forward and keep doing this. There was Mm -hmm. one patient who didn't want to keep doing it, even though all 20 of them had benefit. So the O-shot is one protocol that can be used to inject platelet-rich plasma in the clitoral area and the anterior vaginal wall. It was 
mostly used to improve sexual function in terms of lubrication, arousal, libido, but it's also been helping patients with anorgasmia and pain with intercourse. Yeah, so as the name implies, it was originally developed to make orgasms better. And I'm sure you use that in your practice for people who have difficulty achieving orgasms, particularly as we age. But I love to use it for vaginal dryness, or I actually even use it as a non-surgical option for incontinence. And I feel like it's a home run because you're either dry or you leak or you don't versus orgasms can be so a little bit more tricky and there's so many other factors that go into um, stronger orgasms. I agree. And orgasms, it's multifactorial, right? You've got to look at medical history. You've got to look at what medications they're on. You have to find out if they really like their partner. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, mean, for for me, if my bedroom is clean, like I have better orgasms on the day my cleaning lady comes compared to regular other days. So something as simple as if my bedroom is clean is, is better for me. So I don't know. It's just a little weird. Maybe that's why hotel sex is so much better. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm writing that one down. We got to put that in the algorithm for better orgasm. Yeah, make sure your bedroom is clean. Yeah, but so. I do like also what you said about the incontinence because I use it for incontinence as well. In fact, we can talk about combination therapies because I would bet that you probably do combination therapies mm-hmm. also, or maybe use a laser, you do some PRP, and then you add some carboxy therapy and talk about a win win win. Um, especially for those patients who, you know, one day realize, oh my gosh, I haven't had sex in a while. Now I have this new partner, my new boyfriend, Mm -hmm. and it feels like glass. Oh my God, what do I do? So it's nice to be able to have more than one treatment to tackle those issues, especially in patients who are so progressed. Yeah. Yeah. So you and I both have a, a radio frequency device. I think you mentioned yours is Vivive, mine is Votiva. Um, but I think they're pretty similar in using radio frequency energy. Um, and just like the O-Shot, where like you and I both use it for orgasms, GSM or dryness and incontinence, where how do you position or use your radio frequency device? So it depends on what I'm treating. So if... I'm treating urinary incontinence. I'll treat more in the urethral um, area in addition to the rest of the vagina. If I'm uh, treating more sexual function, then I'll treat in a similar fashion um, in a distal area concentrated, but also the rest of the vagina. And for atrophy, um, I would treat you know higher up in the vagina as well as lower in the vagina. Um, I think that's it. <laughs> okay. And then your um, carboxy therapy, I think you've been using that actually a lot longer than me. In fact, I think you're actually either did a study or involved in a study versus we just implemented that in our practice about six months ago. And our patients are loving it um, for, for the face and the vagina. But I know you even actually have more experience of carboxy therapy for the vagina. Yeah, so carboxy therapy gel is really two creams that you mix together. And when you mix them together, it creates carbon dioxide. And so if you go back to your chemistry days in high school, 
there was this thing called the Bohr effect, where when there's a concentration of carbon dioxide, the body will naturally bring blood vessels to that area to bring oxygen and take away that carbon dioxide, right? So when the body is doing this, it's increasing the dilation of the blood vessels, so vasodilating. It's bringing growth factors to the area, nutrients, right? Because when you're bringing blood to that area, there are nutrients coming with it. Increases um, collagen in the area. It can help correct the pH level of the vagina. And there were a couple of studies that have been done looking at use of carboxytherapy gel not only for the vagina, but even in treatment of diabetic ulcers with effective healing after four treatments on diabetic ulcers. So very interesting gel that can be used for all kinds of healing. And that's why when my patients are using it, not only do they put it in their vagina, but they'll have some extra and they put it on the face, put it on the neck, they put it on their hands and they love it. Yeah. Um, so it's super fun in that way. I am doing a small study right now just looking at what we can do to help women who cannot use vaginal estrogens, who have been diagnosed with breast cancer. Maybe they're on certain medications like tamoxifen or an aromatase inhibitor or some chemotherapy that is decreasing their amount of estrogen they have in the vulvar and vaginal areas. And so the thought was if we treat these women daily with the carboxy therapy gel for 10 to 15 days and then give it to them monthly, what would the effect be? And so we're looking at their sexual function, especially pain with intercourse and the health of the vagina using the vaginal health index. Are you seeing the carboxy gel work faster than local estrogen therapy? I do. Yeah, that's been my experience, too, is it really it seems like it, you know, obviously we, we don't have any data on this of head to head trials, but I just think the carboxy gel just speeds the whole process up. I agree. And that's why I like it for combination therapy, because things like lasers and radiofrequency and PRP take a minute to work. Mm-hmm. But the carboxy therapy kind of, you know, you you start off running, you know, and you can even start it before you do your other treatments just to hit the ground running and get things up and going. Um, there is Gustavo Libashoff is a physician who did a study on postmenopausal women where he treated 10 of them with the carboxy therapy gel and then the other 10 were in a control group. And he did before and after biopsies at 10 days after the treatment, 10 days, and mm-hmm. saw great improvements. I mean, maturation of the tissue, new blood vessels, proper maturation. I mean, just, I mean, I almost didn't believe it when I saw it with my own eyes, but I looked at the slides and I said, wow, right. that's amazing. 10 days after treatment, look at all these changes that are already happening. Yeah, so one of some of the downsides about these therapies like OSHA, radiofrequency, laser, you know, they're not covered by insurance. And so um, things have a little bit different of a price tag. And even the carboxy therapy, I think it's on the, the less expensive side, but it's not covered by insurance. Um, so sometimes price is a factor. How many 
carboxy therapy gels are you recommending? Because I know it comes in a pack of three or it comes in a pack of five. How many are you usually typically recommending your patients to do to get started? Honestly, it depends on the extent of atrophy. Yeah. yeah. And how much, how much, you know, somebody's willing to, you know, to, to pay out of pocket because, you know, they're not super expensive, but they're, it's also more expensive than KY jelly for sure. I agree. I usually start people at 10 treatments, but if it's, you know, they're perimenopausal, very light changes, but they're starting to notice changes, we could get away with doing five treatments. But usually it's about 10 treatments. And then after that, I'm usually doing about once a month. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some patients that will need it sooner. And I'm still figuring out who those patients are and what their needs are. And I think what I'm finding is that the patients who might need it sooner are patients who have autoimmune issues like Sjogren's Mm -hmm. and lichen sclerosis because they do so well with it that I think it sort of maintains sort of that health of the vagina and keeps even the autoimmune symptoms at bay to a degree. And are you having people use those 10 every day or every other day before you go to the monthly therapy? I will have them use five take a break for a couple days and use another five. And then we go to once a month. Okay. I had a patient, uh, I actually just did her laser therapy early this week, but she came in and actually wanted the laser therapy. She had already been on my website, did her homework. But when she came in, her vagina uh, was so narrow that it wouldn't be able to accommodate the, the, she wouldn't be able to have intercourse and she wasn't able to accommodate the actual probe to put, for the laser. Um, it's about the size of a erect penis. And so I did 10 carboxy therapy and then just a month of vaginal estrogen. And then I saw her a month later and already there was a huge difference. And then we were actually able to do our laser therapy. Cause my experience has been when people come in and they have a new partner or they decide, okay, I need to fix this. They want it fixed yesterday, not two years from now. Absolutely. Yep. hundred percent. It's just like everything else. Once you hear someone else use something and they got better, you want it yesterday. Yeah. So I agree with you, but I love that story because it speaks to the potential for increased elasticity. If I'm hearing what you're saying correctly, sounded like, it was helpful in improving the elasticity of the Mm -hmm. vagina so you could pass the probe. Right. I think that's what it's, it was a struggle for me of bringing in all these modalities to figure out how I'm going to use it. But I also think it's a struggle for patients. If you say, here's all of our options and then they want to know, well, what is best? And that's where, at least at this point, point in time of October 2021 is we don't have randomized controlled trials to compare what's what's better is the O shot better than carboxy or laser or RF and 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 we don't have that information I could just tell from personal experience of people that get the best results are people that do combination therapy Kind of like when you want to lose weight, should I eat right? Should I change my diet? Uh, Should I drink more water? Should I exercise? Should I lift weights? And the answer is yes to all of those. You get better results. And um, 
but it would be great if we had more head-to-head data to to know exactly what to do, and we just don't have that. I agree with you. I mean, it would be nice to have studies that don't just have 10 or 20 people in them. It'd be great to have studies that have two or 400 people in them that are randomized and controlled. But for now, this is what we have, and you and I are working through it and trying to figure it out to improve quality of life for everyone. Because when you think about it, if these vulvovaginal tissues are in such bad shape and now your quality of life is going down, think of all the risks inherent to that drop in your quality of life. I mean, not just, you know, you could develop infections, urinary infections, vaginal infections, incontinence, um, depression. There are all sorts of risks associated with a drop in quality of life. So I think it's really important for us to educate women to make sure that they know what the signs and symptoms are and they stay on top of things to keep their quality of life up where it belongs. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining me and we will get the word out, get the word out and put this on Facebook, send it to our email database, put it on our podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast. So people could really understand that this is a really common problem um, as women age and it's not just about hot flashes. So thanks you so much for joining us and help educate women. Thank you. I had a really great time chatting with you today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Her. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook and the web. Go to www.dramybrenner.com to learn more. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute as medical advice, the practice of medicine, nursing or other healthcare services. No patient-physician relationship is formed. The information in the podcast and any references, material or links are at the sole discretion of the listener and not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Listeners should not delay or disregard obtaining medical advice for any medical issues or diagnoses that they may have and should seek medical advice from their healthcare provider for any such conditions.